Okay. So just, yeah. So good to have you. Sure. Thank you. Awesome. Right here. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to, good to be here back with you. Um, I know some of you don't know me. I see a lot of unfamiliar faces, at least to me. But um, it, it's really good to see you here to be under the faithful teaching and leadership of this, this church. I really love this church. Uh, they've been so foundational uh, in my spiritual growth and helping me understand who Christ is and, and how to love him uh, and what it looks like to love Jesus Christ and to live life in light of that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, to, just to share a little bit of, of uh, about what's been going on recently, uh, praise the Lord, I'm in my senior year at the Master's Seminary, and um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's hard to believe that uh, about three years ago, I was leaving you guys to go to seminary, and now I'm, co- I'm on the verge of possibly coming back. Uh, so, um, I, th- I think right now it's just, uh, there, well, I'm working at the Master Seminary as well as attending as a student. Um, God has graciously provided a job for me there, and so I'm just so thankful for that. Learning a lot in terms of uh, just balancing a schedule, learning how to be more of a shepherd, to be a little more gentle when it comes to um, working with, with church people. I'm in a church right now called Pathway Bible Church. I'm their intern, and they're actually, this is new to you, they're actually considering bringing me on as one of their pastors um, in January for the January to May um, time period just to give them a little bit of relief. Um, we're, we're a little uh, swamped. Uh, all, all my pastors there are bivocational, which means that they work on the side and they volunteer their time to, to pastor the church. And uh, so I have that wonderful opportunity to, to consider and uh, to, to take a look at. And um, just looking at them and how they, how they live life, how they do their, do their job, uh, take care of their families, raise their kids. A lot of them have, uh, well, one of, the, one of the pastors has two kids and the rest have four or more. So, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to see, or it's, it's difficult for them to be able to balance work, family, and then on top of that, church life as well. So it's been such a great opportunity just to be there, to learn from them. Um, and, uh, yeah, just to, to really see what it means to be a shepherd of God's people. Uh, some prayer requests that you guys can uh, do for me. Just, uh, just diligence in finishing strong. Uh, for my last year. Uh, it's pretty busy right now with some senior year level classes. I'm in preaching lab right now, which means that I'm being, which basically means that I prepare sermons every two weeks. I get up in front of my professor and four other classmates. I preach and then they uh, let me have it. So, uh, <laughs> um, so you can pray, pray for me just to be diligent in, in that and to just to grow not only as a preacher, but as, as, um, as a lover of Jesus Christ, as someone who not only just um, cares about the things of the Bible and study, but someone who loves Jesus Christ, who lives in light of that, who loves people, and it's not just church people, but people who are out in the streets, too. So, um, yeah, you can just be praying for me for that, and uh, yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for your time. Oh, by the way, what was your last sermon that you preached on? Uh, the last sermon that I preached on was Luke 14, 25 to 35, The Cost of Discipleship. Oh, very good. Oh, yeah. Would you rather hear that this morning? <laughs> oh, no, good, 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 good. Sit down. All right. So let's go learn for, for Brother Rod. Thanks for the update, brother. I appreciate having you here. <laughs> well, as we let's go to the, look to the Word before you join me in prayer as we go, come to the Word. 
Father, thank you for uh, the testimony from Brother Roger that we can just hear what you are doing in his life. Thank you for the godly men whom you surround him with, godly shepherds who are teaching him what it's like to be a shepherd, not only of a flock of a home, but also a flock of the church. Uh, we know that this is a, well, many of the fathers here already understand this, and parents understand this, the great challenge of being a shepherd of a, of a family. But Lord, we pray for Roger as you are preparing him to be a shepherd of a, your family, your church. We pray that you would uh, help him to grow in wisdom, grow in diligence, uh, help him to apply himself, to gain, as, to be, continue to be humble in his learning from the word as, under godly men who are teaching him what it means to be a shepherd and how to handle God's word, how to handle your people, Lord. We pray for him as he finishes. May you call, lead him to finish well. Uh, may you uh, open doors for ministry for him, whether it is coming back home or whether it's going to be another door somewhere else. We pray that you would be uh, the one who can constantly leads him as his shepherd. So we thank you, Father, that we can come to your word now. Teach us from your word this morning as we look to the book of Acts. And may you cause us to grow in our appreciation and love for your church and the greater love for the church, of, for Jesus Christ, who is the head of this church. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 37 through 42, which is where we'll be this morning. And uh, I normally have been preaching through the book of Isaiah, but I wanted to kind of just uh, take a, a break from Isaiah and just go to, to Acts chapter 2 this morning. It's a message that I preached uh, in the past before, uh, but it's, a, it's an important message for us as a church to, to hear. And, and I, I think I'm preaching many different times, but I just love coming back to this passage because it's a passage about fundamentals. I don't know if I even got the title into your uh, bulletin. Did the title get in there? Okay, no title? All right, so uh, I entitled this The Fundamentals of a growing church, the fundamentals of a growing church. What are the basics that we should be looking for in a church that that God uses to God causes to grow? And so, Acts chapter two, verses thirty-seven through forty-two. Actually, I'm going to read a little bit uh, some of the context before that. I'm going to start with verse twenty-nine, Acts chapter two, uh, twenty-nine through forty-two. This is the Apostle Peter speaking. He's kind of, we're midway in his sermon on that, uh, on that day of Pentecost. But he says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ 
for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I'll send right there. And then the chapter goes all the way to the end of verse 47 as well. And you see basically the result is that the church kept growing. This is a, a story of the early church. And I pray that this morning as we look at it, we would learn to glean from this narrative really some characteristics of that early church that should be characteristics of every church really. Every church that God in Jesus, through Jesus, Jesus Christ will cause to be a healthy, growing church. As a young parent, uh, um, I have enjoyed watching our daughter grow. And I talked about Roger, but uh, you know, I've, en- I've enjoyed watching our daughter grow. And many of you who are parents, you understand the joy of watching your children grow. Uh, when she was first born over almost 16 months ago, boy, I always wondered, would she ever grow? You know, would she ever kind of move to the next stage? You're just kind of worried because the, especially in those early six weeks or two months where you just like no sleep, you know, and it's like every hour or half hour, I always wonder, is she ever going to learn to sleep, you know? And praise God, she learned to sleep, right? And then I wondered if she would ever at some point, you know, in, nowadays you're Every parent's worried about SIDS, you know. Oh, no. Is she ever going to learn to turn her head? Because it's so important. If she, you know, doesn't turn her head right, she's, you know, might smother herself in her pillow. And then eventually she'll learn to turn her head. I worried if she would ever learn to push up. And, oh, she learned to push up. I was wondering if she would ever learn to eventually kind of start moving around. And, oh, praise God, she started learning to move, crawling around. She eventually started learning to walk. And then to, eventually she started learning to speak a few words. And then she learned to uh, you know, to instead of me turning the pages of a book for her, she would learn to turn the pages of a book for her. And now I don't have to teach her anything. She starts climbing up sofas and doing all sorts of things. And it's wonderful. And I love watching her just develop and grow. Now, is it because our daughter is special and she's the greatest and smartest daughter in the whole world? Yes. No, okay, no, it's not that true. That's not that true. Not true. And is it, it's, rather, it's rather that she has the best parents in the world. No, that's not true either, right? We're just average parents. Actually, we're probably not that good parents. And our daughter's probably just an average kid. But the, it's just really, uh, as parents, you all understand, it's normal. She's actually just a normal, healthy child. A normal, healthy child will grow. We, do, we can guarantee it. I can promise you. Some of you out there got some, well, newborns praise god i'm just excited this is really cute watching newborns i'm watching newborns at retreat i see newborns here uh, they're gonna grow they're gonna develop they're gonna just move to the next stage of life just as we've all done and that's something that happens when people when babies are normal healthy and this basic principle is not just true of babies but it's true of churches it's true of churches when churches are normal healthy churches they grow in fact, even uh, Paul will talk about the importance of a church being uh, built on sound, or in other words, healthy, health-inducing doctrine. That if a church is healthy, it's fed on healthy, uh, a healthy diet, that it will naturally grow. 
because that's how God designed it. Just He's designed babies to grow. He's designed churches to grow. And churches are, in a sense, churches are not just an organization, but it's considered a living organism of, of sorts as well. And I, had, I spoke at a retreat last weekend. I spoke on the theme of, of the church, and that's why this is one of the messages that I preached on, in fact. And one of the beauties of the church is that it's not just an organization like, a, you know, the uh, that the main organizations that we can be involved in, like the Cancer Society or your, you know, local Lions Club or, you know, your AAA membership. It's not an organization like your businesses that you work at, your corporations, your, the, you can work for, work for the city here. Uh, these are all, and there are many fine institutions that we can work in, we can be involved in, in in this world, in this life, but there's nothing like the church because the church is living. The church is living. Well, the church is made of, as you many of you know, the body of Christ, the believers in Christ. And it is something that is a growing entity, a growing organism, and is unique in the sense that God, Jesus, as we read in, in uh, Matthew 16, promises to build his church. It's this, this local churches sometimes come and go, but the universal church of Jesus Christ, the body of all believers in Christ, is going to be continually grow. It's not like anyone can ever be taken out of the church, right? We've been teaching. We don't teach that you can lose your salvation. The Bible teaches very clearly that once saved, always saved. The greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That the one who has his hand will not lose a single one. This church is only growing. And and this this little local body of believers is is a small picture of the universal church. And so... There's a certainty, even for us as a church, and, and this is a pretty good-sized church. Uh, uh, the church I spoke at was about 30 people. You know, it's just starting off. It's a, it was a, it's a church plant from some four years ago. But it's encouraging because I remember they just started off with, like, <laughs> the pastor and his wife and their kid. And now they're about 30, 40. And normally, it's just God causes the church to grow as it not only grows through conversions, through people coming to know Jesus Christ, but bring, God will bring out along other believers in Christ to that local church too. So we ask ourselves then, uh, with, with regards to San Francisco Bible Church, is San Francisco Bible Church a healthy church? Uh, I know as leaders, we're always asking a, that question. Are we a healthy church? Are we a church that is going to be growing? Now, certainly, we're not a perfect church, uh, but are we maintaining are we as a church reflecting these characteristics that are would be identify a healthy church and hopefully not only does do us as leaders should examine this but you as a, the part of the body should also be thinking about it because the health of a church is not just it's not just the structure the organization organization but the health of the church really is a question of the health of you as a christian as a part of this body these fundamentals these basics should be characteristic of you individually as believe, as part of this body, as well as all of us together as a whole body. These are the things that should characterize us. And so this morning we're going to look at seven fundamentals, seven fundamentals in the life of a healthy church. These fundamentals, if characteristic of this church or any church, is going to be the kind of church that Jesus Christ causes to grow. Now, uh, I used to add, for especially for little churches, you know, that growth is, generally speaking, numerical growth. Numbers, number of people, number of believers. But I would also add, because there was a time when I was involved in a small church plan as well. And we would be very faithful. And we were, this was a whole lifetime ago. But 
we would be faithful. We'd do a lot of witnessing. We'd throw on, we'd have a lot of ministries. We'd want to reach out to people. We'd share the gospel. We'd try to get people uh, discipled. And, and we would do these crazy outreaches, you know, all sorts of things. And then no one would come back. No one would come to the Lord. No one could walk down the aisle. No one would raise their hand. No one would come and cry. No one would say, throw me in the baptism waters. And he's like, what? Where's the growth, Lord? Where's the growth? But there was growth. There was a growth in the body, in the believers that were there. That causes us to love the Lord Jesus Christ more as we faithfully served him, devoted him. In fact, one of the people that I served alongside in those 30 days is now Roger's pastor over there at Pathway Bible Church, one of his pastors. That from that church, that church grew and sent out. It didn't send out. It might not have grown as a church body, but it sent out a whole mess of pastors and missionaries who are now pastoring other churches around the world. And the Lord does that. And so he's always, he's causing the church to grow. So let's look at the seven fundamentals. Now, a little bit of background here as we look at this 40, uh, 37 through 42. This is the day of the Pentecost. This is the day that the church, in a sense, begins for the very first time. Uh, the Holy Spirit came and filled all those who were gathered in the upper room, and they started speaking in, in various languages, various different tongues, different languages. And so those who were walking by heard, thought it was strange. How can these people be speaking in our language? That uh, That's our language. They All sorts of Jews from all around the, the Mediterranean had gathered in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, the festival. And they were hearing these, these Israelites speaking in their own tongues, their different t- languages. And they were being awed by that. And they actually thought, well, these guys must be drunk. They, they've had, they partied too much. It is the festival time, and, and so they must have had too much to drink. That's what they thought. So, but Peter says, no, that's not, they're not drunk. And he gets up and he preaches to them. And he tells them, the, in a sense, the most sad news of all. He tells them basically about the Messiah. He reminds them, and we read that in verse 29 through 36. He talks about the Messiah that had been promised, the, the son of David, whom David calls his Lord. How can David call his promised son Lord unless he's also God, the son of God? And that's why that's, that's Psalm 110. Now, in fact, I just learned yesterday at a retreat that Psalm 110 is the most quoted verse in all the New Testament, now the Old Testament passages. So that's just, you know, for your trivia. Uh, well, that's also for edification, too. It tells us that's so significant because the promise is God to Jesus that one day sit at my right hand until I will make your enemies a footstool. And that's a, that was an illustration, that was an example for us of Jesus waiting. Our theme, by the way, this weekend at our retreat is waiting upon the Lord, that even Jesus is waiting. And we as believers are taught to wait upon the Lord. Jesus is waiting on the Lord as well. So, Anyways, back to our text here. Um, hopefully I won't end up preaching yesterday's message at our retreat to you because it was just a really good message. I hope we'll have those sermons, by the way, out uh, on, on audio on our website in a few weeks. And so you can listen to them if you didn't get a chance to go uh, to the retreat. But so Peter starts preaching the gospel, tells us that basically the Christ whom we looked for, all of us have been looking for, he came, but guess what? You crucified him. The Jewish people through whom Jesus was, the, the Messiah would come, they had been waiting for him for so many years. Then, then Peter preaches this very powerful, challenging, in-their-face kind of message. You know, you killed him. You killed, you killed the Messiah. 
And that's, kind of, that's got to grieve you, you know, the, the very one you've been looking for, longing for. And then you find out that, oh, you, you killed him. And so, of course, it's not just the Jews, but in a sense, we all killed him. And there's, there's a sense where God killed him as well, uh, according to the scriptures. But it's because of our sin that Jesus came and he had to die. He died for our sin. And so as we, and that kind of leads, that such a powerful message leads us to verse 37 then. And the first fundamental that we see here in verse 37, in fact, 37 through 40, I'm going to emphasize this, this is probably the most important point and the most important part of a, of a healthy church. The most, that this fundamental that must be held in the life of a church is the necessity of salvation. Of salvation. Or you could put conversion is another way to put it, but salvation is the more general word. That the church of Jesus Christ must know, must possess salvation. You know, Church of Jesus Christ is going to tell people about salvation as we, you know, and we, at least you know that the churches do that, right? We tell people about salvation in Jesus Christ. Then they must know salvation in Jesus Christ as a church. The church of Jesus Christ possesses one thing. I love, you know, the church is so simple. I love the church is simple. You know, I love there's so many books out there I could read about, oh, this is how you grow a church. You can read this about how you grow a church. You can find, oh, follow these five steps, these six things, these seven fundamentals. Um, give all sorts of stuff, but when it comes down to it, the church really is here for one thing. It has one thing to offer the world that nobody else can offer. That's salvation through Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation through Jesus Christ is the one sole possession of the church. You can, you can, we can go do many things as a church. We can go out and do all sorts of outreach ministries to show mercy to people, show kindness. We feed the homeless, uh, feed the hungry we can go out and, and seek and help uh, those who are caught up in slavery to be free, set free. We can uh, go out and uh, we can start hospitals. You know, a lot of churches used to start hospitals way back when. Uh, we can do all sorts of good deeds. But other organizations can do those things as well. But there's one thing that the Church of Jesus Christ alone can do. The one thing that we possess that's different from every other organization in the world. IBM doesn't do it. Google doesn't do it. Yahoo doesn't do it. City of San Francisco doesn't do it. The church does it. The church proclaims gospel of Jesus' salvation in Jesus Christ. That's, the, that's our task. And that's the simple thing, really. It's our responsibility, of course, to proclaim this news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Not only and we should make sure we possess it if we're going to tell it to others. Whenever We learned in church history class last quarter that whenever the church neglects the message of salvation, the church loses its power in the world it loses its effectiveness yes initially my people the world might be enthralled and say oh wow look there's a church that's so different they're oh they're feeding the homeless oh look at that church they are they're using such great technology oh look at that church they're actually going out and they're 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 going in and doing this this new thing that we've never seen before and that's nothing not necessarily wrong but when we, let mess, when we leave out the gospel message in all that we do, we eventually lose everything that we do. Just look at any, uh, the most recent one, uh, kind of example for us is probably uh, the 1800s when uh, the growth of, of all these, uh, of these our, the church's social outreaches, you know, the great institutions, by the way, not, nothing wrong with them, and the, the YMCAs, the, uh, the YWCAs, the, the the mission, a lot of 
organized societies that were seeking to help improve the, the better of men, to help get to achieve a, a suffrage for, for women, uh, women's rights, to seek a release of, from slavery among the African-American slaves. These were institutions they existed, uh, or they existed, and Christians rose up and had organizations that sought for these kind of various uh, freedoms. But along the way, the church left out the gospel. And because of that, we eventually lost our power to do any, make any effective change in the world. Well, Peter makes this clear in verse 37 to 40. We see this example. What must we do, they say, in the response to this powerful message of the gospel? They were pierced. They were, they were, they were convicted. And so we see for the very first part, this necessity of salvation is reflected in the necessity of conviction of sin. That if we, a church is going to have salvation, it must first have conviction of sin. Verse 30 said, they were pierced to the heart. They were pierced to the heart. That word just simply means they were, they had a, their conscience was pricked. They, were, they realized that they were wrong in what they did. Many of these people probably were among those who were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. When Pontius Pilate asked, what should I do with this man? But now they're saying, what shall we do? Peter says, repent. But, he first calls, and but first they were convicted of sin. And I love that because that's, that's important for us as believers. You, we're going to get a chance next week to hear uh, testimonies. And I know that uh, many of our people are going to give testimonies of their, how they came to know Jesus Christ their salvation from sin. But even before they get to the place where they say, I believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin, it takes... Before you can say that, you must yourself have come to the place where you were actually convicted of sin, that you actually believed you were a sinner, right? Because if you are, don't think you were a sinner, then you don't think you need a Savior. Like, how many of you are healthy and just go to the doctor? Right? No, well, okay, if you're like me, no, no I don't go see the doctor. What a waste of money. I want to save my 20-buck copay. I'm, gonna go see, I'm healthy. I don't need a doctor. But... If I'm feeling ill, and as I get older, I find myself feeling more ill, I go see the doctor. Oh, I'm aching. <laughs> Call the doctor. Doctor, I need to see you. I got a little pain right here. Uh, doctor, oh, yeah, I'm feeling a little, oh, it's right here. Oh, you know, you, you, I'm sick. I go see a doctor. You're, you, you feel you have sin, you go look for a savior. And that's the conviction of sin. We see that very first. We must first recognize that there is sin before we can be saved from sin. In the very heart, our very heart of our of every human being is is a sinful nature. You know, I love. Uh, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a sinner, and that, but I'm I'm a sinner that is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Our sin condemns us to eternity away from, separate from God in hell and conscious punishment from Him. A separation from God that is eternal, that will never end in darkness and in flames. Is the Bible is the Bible's description where your teeth will gnash. When I just think about that, I say, wow, I don't want that. Why would I want that for anybody else either? And there's a power in that sometimes. There's conviction. There's a, there should be conviction in our lives to recognize that when we see people, when we think about people, everybody who walk around has that same destiny because we're all fallen short. We all have sin. But a lot of people aren't convicted by sin. A lot of people don't think that they're a sinner. But salvation begins with conviction of sin. And that's not something that we can do. I can say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Right? I'm like, wow. But someone's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm sorry. I don't believe that. We're postmodern, right? So it's like, that's maybe true for you, but not true for me, is what most people say this day. 
I cannot convince anyone that they are a sinner. I can maybe even logically, some of you guys are pretty good at logically bringing someone to a place where they would say, have to admit that they sin, but they'll still say, well, I still don't believe I'm a sinner. I still don't need Savior, is what they'll say. The fact is only the Holy Spirit does the power of convicting of sin. And we understand this, and that's, what the, that's the first point. Now, along with conviction of sin, then leads to repentance. And that's what Peter says. Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said then, repent. Repent and let each, let each of you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This word repentance is so important. It means to turn, to turn. It's a changing of mind. It's a, when you change our mind, we actually turn away from sin, from ourself, from, our way of, from a way that says, I don't need God. We turn to God. We turn to him. We turn in faith to him, in him. We turn to recognize that I need your help. Repentance is a turning away from sin and self to God. By the way, you kind of need, it's kind of neat, neat little observation. Peter doesn't say here, believe. Right? Most times when we share the gospel and someone comes up to you and says, oh, what can I do to be saved? What do we say? Well, repent. Well, some of us say that. But the majority of us probably say, well, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. That's probably what the majority will say. But I want to tell you that it's just as legitimate to say repent. The Bible rep- teaches us that repentance and belief are really two sides of the same coin. You know, you take a coin out, they're really two sides. In order to repent, to turn from sin and turn to God, is to do that will also imply faith. And faith is what? Faith is trusting in God. So to, you have to turn away from sin in order to trust God. So repent. So sometimes Jesus in his gospel will say, believe. Sometimes he'll say, repent. But sometimes he'll say, repent and believe. Both are true. But here Peter just simply says, repent. Turn away from sin. Turn to acknowledge that you guys, you, can, you, you nailed the, the Messiah to the cross. Repentance is taught, by the way, from sin is taught throughout the scriptures. John the Baptist called for it in Matthew 3, 2. Jesus called for it in Matthew 4, 17. All the preachers throughout the book of Acts called for it in uh, 3, 9, Acts 3, 19, 5, 31, 8, 22, 11, 18, and so on and so forth. You'll see this word all throughout the early church. It's a word that we tend as a church not used too often. But it's a word, it's a very good biblical world. It is a good picture to people that what's necessary in, in salvation is a willingness to turn away from sin, to turn to God. It's a, an act of the will of the mind. That then, but by necessity, by implication, will reflect in our lives. We'll reflect from turning away from actual sin and turning to walking in obedience to God. So the first application for the church to be a healthy church is we must make sure that we have salvation. We possess salvation ourselves. Have you been in a place where you were convicted of sin? Do you acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ that I'm a sinner? Have you come to a place where you recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross in place of you for your sin? And have you then repented from sin and turned in faith to Jesus Christ. If you have that, if you come to that place where you've repented of sin and believed upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you've got, you possess fundamental number one. But if you have not, I invite you today to do that. I know you can keep studying. There's many things you can keep researching. And there's, there's a, I, and there's a, is a good. It's God's creation. He made you with a mind. He made you with the desire to learn. 
But salvation is not about learning enough. Salvation is not about learning enough. We're constantly learning here as believers in Christ. But salvation is about the turning away from saying, I don't want to learn, to turning to God and say, I want to be a learner of Christ. I want to start learning now to follow Christ. Teach me, Jesus. Teach me how to follow your ways because you died in my place. And I pray that today might be a day of salvation for you. But as far as the rest of us, let's make sure we hold, uh, possess salvation, but then let's make sure we, we uphold the message of salvation, and let's make sure we proclaim the message of salvation. And what's wonderful, according to verse 29, this message is not just for the Jewish people, or not just for verse 39. He says, for the promise is for you and your children. That's the Jewish people. That's their children. But it also says, for all who are far off. I love that. You underline that because that's, unless you're Jewish, that refers to you. That's us. That's me. I'm one of those who are far off. And as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. God, salvation is God's work. He calls people to himself. God is drawing you. God drawed, drew every one of us. When we came to same, same faith in Jesus Christ, God was drawing us, calling us to himself. Now, I don't think we heard an audible voice. But God is the one who ultimately calls us, draws us to himself by his providence. So that's point number one. All right. Uh, ten minutes left. Let's cover six more points. Oh, I, I'm not in a rush. I got to go back to a retreat later in a yeah, free time doesn't end until five. But the second point is baptism. Baptism. And this says the second fun, healthy fundamental of a church is baptism. Baptism is, is, we'll, is we'll find it mentioned here in verse 38 and verse, as well as verse 41. But baptism is that ordinance commanded by Christ for the church to observe as an outward symbol of our salvation, right? Uh, many of you, as believers, you became a believer, you were baptized. But verse 38 says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to correct, just kind of help you to think through this, especially if you're a young believer. The wording, if you look at this sentence in, in verse 38, it sure sounds like, it seems like, baptism is somehow a necessity in order for you to have forgiveness of sins, Right? That says, my NAS says, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, I want to add that if you, though it may be, I guess you could interpret it that way. But before we interpret scripture in that way, we should look at the rest of scripture. And when we look at the rest of scripture, a scripture in, interpret scripture is one of the principles, the analogy of scripture, is that when we look at the rest of scripture, it doesn't teach that we're saved by any works, that we're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And not of any works that no one should be able to boast. God wants to save us by our faith and faith alone. And faith is even his gift. So, so to, for Peter, who followed Jesus Christ, who's speaking on, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, for him to teach here that, that yes, you need to be baptized in order to be saved, uh, that can't be what he's teaching. So is it possible that, to interpret this in some other way? And not only uh, in, yes, in fact, there are two different ways we can look at it. So whereas Peter is not intent, not uh, teaching what we call baptismal regeneration, that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. First of all, you could translate the word for, for the forgiveness of your sins, as because. That's one possible interpretation. Be, repent, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins. Because you have forgiveness of your sins, that's, be baptized is, is the pot, potential translation. Uh, so because you, once, after you're saved, then be baptized because of that. Now that's pot, 
possible. That's a very common view. I take a different view, though. I I think it's a different interpretation of this passage. And I taught this before. But when you look at the syntax of the sentence, the word repent, if you look at it in the Greek, it's actual command for in the second person plural. It's the gender number. Second person. So you all repent. You all repent. But then you look at the command, the verb be baptized. It's a different gen, It's a different number. It's second, not second person plural, but third person singular. And that's why it says each of you be baptized. Repent all of you. Let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so... Then when we get to the, for the forgiveness of your sins, that number your, yours, uh, in our English language, we can't tell if it's second person singular, second person plural, but what do you think it might be? This is second person plural. The same number uh, uh, and person as the verb repent. So this phrase, for the forgiveness of your sins, is connected syntactically with the verb repent. So what is necessary for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins? Repent. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. And that phrase in the middle, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because it's in the second person singular, or third person singular, I'm sorry, is meant to be a parenthetical. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins, but by, and as a symbol of your repentance and forgiveness, be each of you be baptized, and that's the way I take it. I, I think that's that's uh, that's um, uh, not, not only is what Peter intended here, but if you look in Luke twenty four forty seven, there Jesus when he talks to disciples, he can Jesus, Jesus himself connects repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He connects those two those two phrases together without any mention of baptism. And I know Peter's only just repeating what Jesus taught, and so he's thinking of that here. But Peter also adds this little parenthetical statement of. By the way, each of you, now that you're believers in Jesus Christ, you know, you repent and you believe for the forgiveness of your sins, be baptized as well. Don't wait till you're ready. Be baptized as an outward symbol of your faith and your repentance in Jesus Christ. And we look at verse 41, in fact, that they did that. So then those who had received his word were baptized. They believed his word. They believed in the gospel message. They were baptized that day. So the people were obedient. And this is very significant for them because they didn't delay. I know, man, for myself as a, as a young believer, I was disobedient. I, I knew I was supposed to get baptized, but I didn't want to. Why? Because I was waiting for me to get perfect. Are you that way? You, you kind of, did you feel that way? You're like, I was waiting. I said, I need to know more. I, I, I need to, I still got sin in my life. If I was waiting to, to be, have no sin in my life before I got baptized, I would still be unbaptized today. But the fact is, I eventually just came to realize that, you know, baptism is just a matter of obedience. It's really just a matter of obedience. It's obedient. Christ asked his people to put their life on the line. Let, them, let your faith be public. That's why Jesus does keep, teach us to count the cost to be a disciple. In those days, to be baptized was so public. Nowadays, we just have a little baptism inside, the, inside a church. Very non-public. Well, kind of public. But really, we want to do like Jesus' day. We go out to the lake. We go out to Lake not Ocean Lake. Lake Merced. That's a nice, calm, safe place. We go to Lake Merced right when everybody's out there in the middle of the day. Everybody's having their picnics and stuff. That's when we have a baptism. That's when everyone knows, whoa, that person's a believer in Jesus Christ. It would be so public. And in those days, to be, to be a follower of Christ. Remember what they do, did with Christ? 
they killed him. So to outwardly identify with Jesus Christ at this point say, could, would be the same potential danger for them. They were hiding in the upper room, the apostles. That's baptism. I love and baptisms, that's why I believe baptism is, as a pastor, I would encourage you, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have not been baptized, be baptized. It's a, I, I think it should be the first step of obedience in every Christian's life after belief. Because it, it just puts it out there. It says, I, you make yourself think about it. Am I going to follow him or not? Am I re- this is real or not? And then the obedience puts it out there. It ch- expresses your 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 willingness to confess Christ before men. Because Jesus has a warning for us if we're not willing to confess him before men. Anyways, let us not be undercover Christians. Let's make sure we practice, not only practice baptism, but we're all baptized. If you're a believer here, application number one, you want to be healthy? Get baptized. Get baptized. That's obedience to the Lord. Now, this doesn't make you perfect, okay? I can attest to that, but it will set you on the right path towards a life of obedience in the Lord. Point number three, membership. A healthy church must have membership. Verse 41, uh, just, this is just implied here, really. So then those who had received his word were baptized. On that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. Now, that's a phrase that, it doesn't say membership here. There's no place that we see the word membership in this chapter. But uh, 1 Corinthians 12, by the way, talks about membership, that we're all members of the body. And that's where this idea of membership of a church comes from, that we, every church has members, parts of the body. Just as a church is considered like a human body, we're all members and we're all needed, according to 1 Corinthians 12. Every part is necessary. And I love having people from all over the world come and join this church because I just think, wow, what is God going to add to the body of Christ, even for the short time that you may be here? What will he, what will he be doing through some of you who are guests and visitors with us? Some of you just checking us out. Some of you have been here for a long time as well. But God brings you here with your own giftedness, your own abilities, your skills, your backgrounds, your different uh, ways of thinking, the ways of you do things, your personalities. And God will use that in the body of Christ for the common good of this body to make us much more effective in reaching out to our world out there and to help us grow. Membership. So I won't go too long, but just this is an encouragement to you. Many of you who are regular attenders of this church, you know, I, I know you're part of this church. I know you ask me what church you go to. I know you come to San Francisco Bible Church. And trust me, as shepherds, we're watching out for your souls. But really, membership was a way, is, uh, membership is just uh, an outward kind of identifying with a local church. These, these believers, they, they knew who was believers and who were not. They knew, they, the elders and the apostles knew who they were responsible to shepherd and who they were responsible to, to witness to, really, to evangelize. They knew who belonged to Christ, who did not. They, because, you know, there are so many commands in New Testament where it tells, involves the church doing something, telling it to the church, or l- loving especially the church. Does that mean, you know, when we think about these, these are all referring to local church contexts. It's not when we, can you imagine church discipline? When we get to the fourth stage or third stage, and you've got to tell it to the whole church. Wow, how do you tell the world? Well, in the day of the internet, you could, I guess, tell the whole universal church uh, that, you know, so-and-so is under church discipline and therefore do not welcome them into your fellowship until they repent. That would not work. It's really talking about a local church. Help us as leaders to, to identify. Let us know. You're here. You're part of the body. Say, I'm going to identify with this church. This is where I want to submit to the leadership. I also want to be involved in the service of the body. 
And don't just wait to just say, well, it's obvious. Maybe it is obvious. But there's a part where in this day and age, as many of you know, uh, uh, in order for us to fulfill the process of church discipline even, that process involves a, a tacit understand, a recognition that from you as a member to say, yes, I identify with this local church. I want to love, and that, that means that I'm open. I'm willing to have the leaders shepherd me in my life. You say, well, I don't know. Maybe I don't want church discipline. Well, I don't think anybody wants church discipline. But we all need a discipline of some sort within the body of Christ so that we might walk more holy with Christ. Because all of us will have blinders. We all have blinders. We'll have blinders. There are areas of our life we don't see that I may be sinning left and right against some of you. I don't know. But I need you to tell me. I need someone love, who loves me and say, Pastor Henry, I see you. Uh, you, you know, maybe we're not kind to your wife or something like that. I saw you, you were kind of short with elder so-and-so the other day. Maybe you don't realize that. You know, it's not a good testament of Christ. And I just, you know, just come alongside and say some things like that. We need that discipline. We all have blinders. We need the loving discipline. It's not a harsh discipline, but a loving discipline, just as our parents discipline us. But that only comes from membership. Well, last four fundamentals, I think, are pretty straightforward. They're found in verse 42. And that is, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These are the last four healthy, healthy um, uh, characteristics of a growing church. And the, so the, the fourth is teaching. They were committed. They were, these, these early church members were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the teachings of the apostles. And then the apostles, what did they teach? Well, they taught the teachings of Jesus Christ, God's word. And that makes sense because Jesus, when he makes us, calls us to be disciples, or tells us just, in the Great Commission, tells them to make disciples, he tells them really to make learners of what? Of learners of Christ. That's what the word disciples mean, a student, a learner. And he tells them to keep what? To observe the teachings of Christ. The, all the te- to keep all the teachings that I've commanded you, he tells them. That's what we need to teach. And that's what the apostles were teaching then to the disciples. And they then as turn made, made disciples who then would observe what Christ taught, taught them. And all the way down to our time period where someone taught us about the teachings of Christ and how to keep them. And we are to do the same. We need people who are devoted to studying God's word, to, be, to know God's word, to live God's word. In 1 Timothy 3.15, the church is described as the pillar and support of the truth. We as a church are to uphold the truth of Jesus Christ. And, of course, at the tr- whole, of the truths of the teachings of Jesus Christ is the gospel, right? That's back to salvation message. But it's not just the gospel of salvation. There's so much other things that Jesus taught about, about his coming again. And, you know, there's in the church, in the evangelical church today, there's a much disagreement about um, whether Jesus Christ is coming before the millennium after the millennium, or there is no millennium. And as Christians, but we don't just say, well, it doesn't matter. Jesus actually taught about it. It does matter. And just as, you know, can you imagine if the early church, when they first disagreed, well, does Jesus have a body? Was Jesus God? Was Jesus not God? Did he take the form of God? Well, it doesn't matter. We would never have, we would like, we would, we would be, we would be lost if we didn't have a right recognition of Jesus. 
But throughout different ages, the church always comes to, keeps going to the word, keeps studying the scriptures like Bereans, so that we might come to understanding. And among, and the, so even though there are things in the scriptures that are hard to understand, some of the things that Jesus taught about are hard to understand, I've uh, some of the just the practical lessons he challenges in the in the beatitudes are hard to grasp, especially in our day and age. But yet we are to call to study the word of God, so that we might live according to, and to, to keep all that Christ commands us. That's our ch- responsibility as a church. That makes us healthy as a church. That's why we, if you look at the church and, you, and minister, what, much of what we do begins with the study of God's word. But I hope we don't end there. That's our danger as a Bible church, right? We study God's word, and then we just walk out and say, ooh, that was nice. I felt good. I, I, got, I actually had tingles on that one. No, that's useless, right? Man, if we didn't live it out, what use is it? Let's live it out. Let's live out Christ's words. All right, that's teaching. The sec, uh, fifth one, fellowship. Fellowship. Wow, fellowship. And, then, you know, <laughs> fellowship is not refreshment time, and fellowship is not 7.30 p.m. on Fridays. Okay. It could happen. Fellowship can happen there, but it's not a time. It's not a refreshment. Fellowship, according to the Bible, is actually a sharing in common the blessings of Christ. Sharing in common our blessings of Christ. And this, according First uh, John 1, 3, by the way, tells us that we have fellowship with one another because we have fellowship with God. We have a fellowship with one We can only have a fellowship with one another, a common bond with one another, a common relation with one another because of our common bond in Christ with God. So it involves sharing. What does that mean? In all the ways that the Bible teaches us to share. And how are all the ways that the Bible teaches us to share? Jesus, would, uh, Jesus and the apostles taught us through the, very, the numerous commands that, were, uh, that are in the form of blank one another. Blank one another. Love one another. Be at peace with one another. Encourage one another. And so on. All these one another's in the Bibles are ways that the believers in Christ are to have fellowship. That's what we're sharing. You know, love? Can we love out our own? No, that's a blessing that God gave us. That's why we love one another. Can we be at peace with one another? Can we get along by ourselves? No, we can't. That's something that God gives us peace. Can we encourage one another? No, by ourselves? No, we're going gonna to put deep down one another. We encourage, we encourage one another by the encouragement that God gives us. All the fellowship that we have with one another is all because of what the blessings that come from God. And by the way, and fellowship can happen in all sorts of, in more formal contexts, whether it's Friday nights. It can, yes, it can happen at refreshment time, though none today, uh, unless you guys are going to surprise me. Um, or it can happen just right after church on Sunday. After or before services, you can have fellowship. You can say, how was your week? How can I pray for you? What kind of praise do you have? What's God doing in your life? Can we pray for you? And those kinds of things. That's fellowship. That's fellowship of the sorts. But you can't have fellowship unless you're together, unless you wear together. So we let's let's practice fellowship. I know that, uh, and uh, man, this is this is just part of the church. I'm so encouraged to see so many of you guys here. I didn't. I thought there'd be like 30 people here, you know, 40 maybe at most. But it was like a whole mess of you guys. That's great. Very encouraging. It tells me that there's some there's something important about gathering together with God's people. And I know that we it's worship, but I I think you would, I think there's something in your in each of us that says. There's something important about worshiping God together. Even that's a fellowship, worshiping together. Okay, and so and when service ends, I hope you don't all run off to lunch, but you kind of stick around and chat with one another. See how each other's doing. Encourage one another. Fellowship. Okay, uh, fellowship. And then, sixthly, communion. Another fundamental is communion. 
they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And that's just not sharing a meal. Though it was, in the early church, a context of sharing a meal. They would break bread together. That's really a word of uh, you know, eating a meal together. But then in the context, in, in this particular specialized context, it's that of communion. They would then observe what Jesus Christ commanded them to observe. To remember through the bread, the, 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 the body of Jesus Christ that was nailed to the cross, through the cup, the usually wine that they drank, would be a reminder of them of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for their sins. And, and that's why we as a church will regularly practice communion. And this is healthy for us. It's healthy for us because it reminds us of Christ, right? It reminds us of what Jesus Christ did for us. But it's so healthy because what do we do before we have communion? We examine ourselves, right? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and following, he says, let, him, let us examine ourselves so that we might not take the bread or the cup in an unworthy manner. You know, and we're examining ourselves for what? For sin. That's why it's so good and important to have communion because it, it constantly reminds me of my sin in my life. And sometimes it's, it is, there might be unconfessed sin that we confess to the Lord at that moment right before communion. But what I'm finding out more in my life as I come to communion each month is usually this. Not that, not so much that, oh, I got unconfessed, and I got those too. But how much sin in my life since the last time I had communion that I confessed to the Lord, and because he is faithful and just, he forgave me. He covered it all. And it makes me that much more appreciative of Christ. Communion makes us love Christ more. And that's what makes us healthy as a church, loving Christ more through communion. It reminds us of what he did for us, his sacrifice for us. And it motivates us to want to sacrifice for him too. When someone loves you so much, you just want to love them back, right? Lastly, the final fundamental of the church makes us healthy, a healthy, growing church. is going to be prayer. Verse 42, they talk about, uh, actually the word is prayers. It's literally prayers, plural, indicating the variety, the frequency of prayers. The, the early church devoted themselves to praying for one another all sorts of times, all types, in all sorts of ways, in small groups, in individual, with individuals, as a gathered as a church, as a, as a church body. Of course, we're just imitating Jesus. He lived a light pattern of prayer. The New Testament commands all believers to pray at all times, Ephesians 6, 18, to be devoted to prayer in Romans 12, 12. And when we pray, and why is this, and when we pray, God is glorified because God answers. John 14, 13, verse 14, and verse 14 says, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, and that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's what, and that's the, that's the promise of Jesus. You know, sometimes I think we pray and we don't believe it. We, we just kind of like, oh, I don't remember what I prayed for. But there is power when a church is praying passionately remembering their prayer requests. And when we see, because we're praying, we constantly seeking to pray according to God's will. And then when God answers, what happens according to Jesus? God is glorified. God is glorified. See, that's what we need to do. I think I don't do this enough myself. I'm convicted by this. I'm like, man, I need to consciously think about the things I'm praying for. And when God answers, tell it to somebody so that God gets the glory. So when someone comes in through the door and so someone asks you, hey, what God's, what's God doing in your life? Well, I'm going to tell you, this is what God's doing in my life. He answered this prayer. Praise the Lord. God is good. God's glorified in that. Because when people gather here and they come to our, our doors and they want to know, what's God doing here? Is God here? 
Is God, can they see the glory of God here? They should see it in our prayers. As we, God answers them. But I hope also they see God's worthiness and they see a body of believers all calling out to God, expressing our dependence upon him. Are we praying as a church? Are we praying for the church? Are we praying for our growth and maturity? If we want to be a growing church, we should be praying for that. Are we praying for our leaders, our families? Are we praying for, the, praying for those in the church that are just checking it out? There's so many people just checking out church. We've got a lot of you guys just coming here. And, you know, and as I think about it, wow, yeah, I see some of you say, wow, where are they at with the Lord? Maybe they need a Lord. Let's pray for some of these people. Especially if you know that they're non-believers. Pray for them and then share with them the gospel. Talk with them about Jesus. Tell them about what God's doing in your life. But pray, for, begin with prayer. We won't pray, though, until we realize how much we need God. As parents, uh, as young parents, Cindy and I have prayed have prayed now more than any time in our lives because we realize how helpless we are in raising up a child. Uh, we can, a wise man told me the best I can do is raise up a Pharisee. And I thought, hmm, he's right. We can teach, we can model, exemplify, Put her in the best Christian schools. Make sure she's under some of your best Sunday school teachers out there. Hear everything you We could force her to memorize all the verses in the Bible. We can have her like go to be the become a wanna top student, you know. But we cannot change her heart. God have mercy upon my daughter. That'd be so sad. All that effort had to raise his daughter who just can repeat like a Pharisee, do all the things right outwardly right, but never have a heart, love, and relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we pray for our daughter, because we can't change her. These are, and can we grow the church? No, we can't grow the church either. I can I can teach the perfect sermons every single week. I can make sure I'm in your life, discipling you, telling you about all the issues in your life that you need to resolve before Christ. I can make sure we have the best Sunday school program, the best nursery, the best AV, the best technology. We could preach the gospel perfectly every single week, and yet I can't change your heart. None of us can change each other's hearts. We have the best refreshment time. But only God, through Christ, will build this church. Only God builds his church through Jesus Christ. And that's why we pray. Please join with me in prayer for this church, that we would cause this church to grow. That we would be a church that reflects the glory of Jesus Christ. Because we want to be, and that we would be marked by all these healthy characteristics of a church. So that as God wills, and I know he wills, he's promised it, that he would build his church, that he'd build asset Bible through you, through me, through all of us as we devote ourselves to these seven fundamentals. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths, and I pray that you would cause us to devote ourselves individually, first of all, to these fundamentals. Make sure that we help, that we would each examine our hearts, make sure we possess salvation first and foremost. Lord, that we know the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we have come to repentance and faith in him, that we've been convicted of our sins. We thank you that you sent us your son who died on the cross for us. 
Father, that we would then walk as believers in Christ, walk in obedience to be baptized as a public profession of our faith. To not withhold obedience, because we know withholding obedience in one area can affect our obedience in other areas. Then, Lord, help us to be faithful as a church, to, as, a, as individuals, to identify with this local body, to be willing to join the membership. Yes, uh, maybe it involves a membership, it involves a taking class, but to submit to the leader so, they may make, so it might make it easier for us to shepherd the many souls that are gathered here each week. Oh, Father, that we would then, as a ch- it causes us as a church to be devoted, just like the early church, to your teachings, to study it, to apply it, to live it. Help us to be people who are committed to, to breaking bread with one another, to remembering your sacrifice for us, to be devoted to fellowship, to be devoted to prayer, because we know that, Father, ultimately, we can't grow, any, we can't grow anything apart from you. Father, help us to devote ourselves to these things. And as Jesus Christ has promised, he will build this church, his church. Help us to follow after you and depend upon you for this. Lord, build this church, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.